0: Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome to the Mansion on the Hill. This is the home of Terry's serious moments. Stories of oddness, of weirdness of nature gone strange. This is season four. We thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoy it. Hello everybody, this is Terry from Texas. wanna jump right into the stories tonight. El pueblo de la Reina De Los Angeles, also known as the town of the Queen of Angels, was officially founded on September 4th, 1781. The settlement was part of Spain's colonization of California, which began in the 1760s as a reaction to Russian advancement into Alaska and Northern California. For such a young city, Los Angeles does quite a swift business in hauntings. Maybe it's the specter of the film industry? It's not just the creaky old mansions on West Adams that have ghosts either. Pretty much every tourist spot is also said to host a spirit or two or 17. Number one on the list is the TCL Chinese Theater at 6925 Hollywood Boulevard, and it more than likely has more than one unhappy spirit hanging around. The former Grauman's Chinese Theater hosts the hand and sometimes footprints as well as signatures of many stars of yesterday on up through more modern names. One spirit said to haunt the theater is actor Victor Killian, best known as the Fernwood Flasher on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and as a character actor, Across many TV shows, he is said to haunt the forecourt of the Chinese, and that's where the uh, squares with the handprints and signatures and things are. Killian lived near the theater and was beaten to death in his home in 1979. Some stories say it was burglars, others say he invited up a man from a nearby bar. Number two is the Silent Movie Theater at 611 North Fairfax Avenue, and it's said to be haunted by the ghost of its first two owners. John Hampton opened the theater in 1942 and dedicated his life to preserving silent films using toxic chemicals that eventually gave him cancer. Lawrence Austin reopened the theater after Hampton's death in the early 90s. In 1997, He was fatally shot in the lobby in a plot concocted by his lover and projectionist. Hampton is said to haunt the upstairs lounge while Austin covers the lobby. There were whispers of a shady past regarding Austin, as well as reports of domestic disturbances between Austin and his lover, James Van Sickle. Van Sickle was into heavy debt, and as inheritor to Austin's estate, he was also not above plotting the murder of his lover. A 19-year-old man, Christian Rodriguez, was charged with the violent shooting death of Austin and the attempted murder of a worker at the snack counter during what was made to appear as a botched robbery. Number three on the list is the Pantages Theater at 6233 Hollywood Boulevard. The theater has at least two ghosts, probably three. One is a singing woman who's said to have died in the mezzanine in 1932 and the one and only Howard Hughes. The other spirit is sometimes thought of as the original owner of the Pantages, but others just describe him as a strong male spirit. Hughes RKO Pictures bought the Pantages in 1949, and he had offices on the second floor. Employees over the years say they've seen his apparition there. It opened on June 4th, 1930, with 2,812 seats. It was used as a stage and film theater, presenting short popular musical skits in between showing films. Because of the market crash in 1929, the plans to have 10 floors of office space built above the theater space were discontinued, but the plans to do so were kept in a safe place, so hopefully in the future they could be used. Unfortunately, Alexander Pantages, who built the place, was accused of raping a young 17-year-old dancer, one Eunice Alice Pringle. William Randolph Hearst's Los Angeles Examiner portrayed Alexander as a cold foreigner and Eunice as his innocent victim, convicting Alexander in the court of public opinion. Not surprisingly, at first, Alexander was convicted, but he appealed and won another trial and was found not guilty in 1931. On re-examination, her story didn't really make sense. It is suspected that Eunice was paid by Joseph Kennedy, who controlled RKO at the time, to make a false claim against Alexander because Alexander had turned down Kennedy's first offer to buy Alexander's theater. Plus, Alexander Pantages was a gentleman and reportedly never would even think of raping someone contrary to yellow journalism claims made against him by Hearst's newspaper. RKO was eventually bought by Howard Hughes, so he officed out of there. It is said that both he and Alexander have been seen in the theater. Since 1932, the sound of a female singer has been heard in the theater auditorium when the theater was empty, dark, and quiet any time of the day or night. In 1994, She gave her first public performance to the living. She showed her confidence in her talent by singing along with the cast of a musical. Her voice was inadvertently picked up by a microphone and heard publicly in front of a live audience. Today, she still sings if the microphone is left on, before or after a performance. The kindly spirit of Alexander Pantages is credited with, or is it accused of, Assisting a worker who had become disoriented in the dark theater and had fallen, someone gently helped her up and led her to the exit. When she opened the door and light flooded in, there was no one around her. A couple workmen were supervised by Howard Hughes, they think, during their shifts, which wigged one of them out so badly he never went back. Number four is the Knickerbocker Hotel at 1714 Ivar Avenue. The Knickerbocker, which is now a senior living facility, might be one of the most haunted places in Los Angeles. It was built as an apartment building in 1925, then became a fancy hotel. Rudolph Valentino, and if you don't know who that is, Google him. Rudolph Valentino is now said to haunt the bar. Marilyn Monroe supposedly hangs out in the ladies' room. And there are lots of assorted other sightings. And there's plenty of other fodder. Director D.W. Griffith died in the lobby, and actress Frances Farmer was arrested in the hotel on her way to insanity. But it's perhaps most notable for its non-haunting. After Harry Houdini's death on Halloween 1926, his widow Bess, attempted to contact him every year for 10 years with a seance on the roof of the Knickerbocker. No dice. Bess called it quits and blew out the candle. Number five is the Comedy Store at 8433 Sunset Boulevard. The Comedy Store's building originally housed Ciro's, which was a hot mob hangout in the 40s and 50s. Now it's said to be haunted by several hitmen, as well as a woman who performed illegal abortions in the downstairs lounge, and a woman who died getting one of those abortions. Number six is the Pico House at 125 Paseo de la Plaza. Workers have reported all kinds of mysterious footsteps and shadows at the old hotel, which opened in 1870. But it's not clear who's haunting this place. Could be Don Pio Pico, a Mexican governor who built a hotel, or it could be some of the many Chinese men who were massacred in the area in 1871. Number seven is the infamous Hollywood sign above Ledgewood Drive. If you don't know by now, there was an actress or a wannabe actress named Peg Entwistle, and she is probably the most famous failed actress in Los Angeles history. Depressed by her lack of success, she jumped from the top of the Hollywood signs H to her death in September of 1932. People have reported seeing a woman near the sign matching Whistle's description and dressed in period clothes. Some people say they've seen a female figure actually making the jump. Number eight is the equally infamous Queen Mary in Long Beach Harbor. Ghosts have been spotted in the Queen Mary's engine room. Door number 13 has crushed a couple of people to death, as well it should being named number 13. In the first class swimming pool, which has been unused for decades, women have been spotted in 1930s bathing suits wandering the decks. People have also seen a young girl with a teddy bear. The second class swimming pool houses another little girl ghost who's said to have drowned. The queen salon has a young woman in an evening dress and the third-class children's playroom, you can hear a baby crying. Many stories come from the Queen Mary. True stories are just one heck of a sharp promotional campaign. Number nine is Griffith Park at 4730 Crystal Springs Drive. Griffith Park is all kinds of haunted, dating back supposedly to the 19th century, when owner Don Antonio Feliz Left the land to one Don Antonio Coronel instead of to his niece, Dona Petronila Feliz. It's said that industrialist and eventual owner Griffith J. Griffith donated the property to the city to rid himself of the tainted land. The ostriches on his ostrich farm there apparently stampeded at night. The land is supposedly haunted by Don Antonio Feliz, Dona Petronila, Griffith J. Griffith, a young girl, and several others, as well as some kind of humanoid beast. Well, certainly, there's some sort of humanoid beast. Number 10 is the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel at 7000 Hollywood Boulevard. The Roosevelt competes with the Knickerbocker for most celebrity hauntings. Marilyn Monroe splits her time between a full-length mirror that used to be in Suite 1200, where she stayed when she first started becoming famous, and the Knickerbocker, Montgomery Cliff is said to hang out and practice his trumpet playing in and around room 928, where he lived while shooting From Here to Eternity. He played a boxing bugler. One psychic says he's also detected Humphrey Bogart, Carmen Miranda, and Betty Grable. There's also a cold spot in the Blossom Room, which was the first home of the Oscars, near where a dapperly dressed 30-zero man is said to hang around. Did you know that there's a place in LA called the Ghostbusters House, or at least known as the Ghostbusters House? It's number 11 on our list, and it's located at 7708 Woodrow Wilson Drive. Dan Aykroyd was living there when he got the idea for Ghostbusters. He says he was inspired by the house's extreme hauntedness, which included doors locking on their own, lights going off and on, and a piano playing itself. To misquote Ghostbusters, no human could play a piano like that. The ghost could be former occupants, Mama Cass Elliot, or maybe even Natalie Wood. Number 12 is the Alexandria Hotel at 501 South Spring Street. The 1906 Alexandria, now low-income apartments, have been both one of the fanciest joints in downtown and a rundown flop house. Several dancers are said to haunt the second floor ballroom, an angry teenager hangs around Charlie Chaplin's old suite, and Rudolph Valentino apparently leaves the Knickerbocker occasionally and visits his old 12th floor suite. The basement, which is filled with tunnels, is supposedly haunted by a couple of mobsters, at least one of whom also likes to visit the Comedy Store. Number 13 is the Colorado Street Bridge at 504 West Colorado Boulevard in Pasadena. This 1912 bridge spanning the Arroyo Seco River was once part of Route 66, but has been known since the 1930s mostly for being the suicide bridge. It hosted its first jumper in 1919 and has seen at least 100 more since, many during the Great Depression, and there are still about 10 per year. Several ghosts supposedly haunt the bridge as well you might expect, including possibly a worker who fell into the concrete during construction. Something I've noticed about haunted bridge stories, it seems like a worker always falls into fresh cement, thus remaining entombed for all eternity. Number 14 is the Bullocks, Wilshire, at 3050 Wilshire Boulevard. The grand old department store, now a Southwest Law School building, is supposedly haunted by a little girl who was killed in an elevator shaft. There are also the usual lights going on and off and mysterious footsteps. Here's one for you. Number 15 is the Los Angeles City Hall at 200 North Spring Street. There have been reports of ghosts in several areas of City Hall. The most famous is a Natalie-dressed, old-fashioned gentleman who likes to disrupt city council meetings and bother officials in the bathrooms. My kind of guy. Number 16 is Dodger Stadium at 1000 Elysian Park Avenue. Chavez Ravine, which apparently is where Dodger Stadium is near or on or whatever, is haunted by more than just the eerie specter of displaced poor people. It's also said to have one or two actual ghosts as well as a spooky mist. Number 17 is the Millennium Biltmore Hotel at 506 South Grand Avenue. Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, and if you don't know who that is, Googler, was last seen alive at the Millennium Biltmore. Her ghost is said to have returned to haunt the lobby. Number 18 is Culver Studios, at 9336 Washington Boulevard in Culver City. Filmmaker Thomas Entz founded what was then called Thomas H. Entz Studios in 1918. In 1924, he died aboard William Randolph Hearst's yacht under some very mysterious circumstances. Hearst shot Entz thinking he was Charlie Chaplin, whom Hearst thought was having an affair with his mistress, Marion Davies. Ince is now said to haunt his old studio. I don't blame him. Ince, not Hearst, that is. Number 19 is the Mission San Buenaventura at 211 East Main Street in Ventura. Every mission in California is said to be haunted, and only one has ghost cats. The lore goes that Father Francisco Uriah kept four pet cats whom he loved so much that when he died, the four cats solemnly marched to the chapel, leaped up to the rope of the chapel bell, swinging it back and forth, tolling out the message that the Padre was dead. Apparently, sometimes you can still hear their cries and their footsteps. Those are some hep cats. The house on Silo Drive. Around 2002, David Omen moved to a new home just 150 feet from 10,050 Silo Drive, the house in Benedict Canyon where Sharon Tate and four other people were murdered by the Manson family on August 9, 1969. The mansion where the murders took place had been torn down in 1994, though a different house was later built on the site. Five years after the home was raised, however, Oman's father purchased a nearby plot for $40,000 and together they built a house on it. During construction, a worker told Oman that he heard voices and footsteps coming from the top floor and he knew he was alone. On further inspection, he saw that nobody was there. Others claimed to hear voices and footsteps and feeling a cold breeze on the back of their necks. Then, in July 2004, Oman woke from a deep sleep at 2 a.m. to find a full-body apparition at the bottom of his bed, pointing towards the driveway, which leads to the murder site. He said there was no sound, and he gestured three times and then just disappeared. Fascinated and curious, he went to the LAPD to see if items from the murder had been left on the once-vacant land that held his house. If a bloody piece of clothing or a knife carrying the victim's DNA had been on his property, that might somehow serve as a connection, he thought. That's when he saw a photo of Jace Sebring, Sharon Tate's close friend and hairdresser, who was also brutally murdered that night. Sebring bore an eerie resemblance to the figure he had seen at his bedside. Paranormal activity at the house becomes something of an obsession for Omen. In the last decade, he's allowed access to dozens of paranormal investigative teams who have brought instruments to measure electromagnetic activity in the air, which is thought to be a sign of the spirit world. He says, the very first person to document the paranormal activities was world-renowned parapsychologist Barry Taff, who said in over 4,000 cases he investigated, this house had the highest consistent EMF readings he had ever seen. He called it the Mount Everest of haunted houses and the Disneyland for the dead. Yet living there has never phased Oman. By nature, a spiritual person, he isn't fearful of ghosts or paranormal activity. He said, I've always felt like I wasn't alone here, but I'm not afraid of werewolves or fictitious characters. And I do know life is more than just what we see. Besides, I'm way more scared of the living than of the dead, he says. Do spirits really come back to haunt the living? Or is it that those individuals who have guilty consciences see repeats of their misdeeds? Or do you subscribe to the stone tape theory? The stone tape theory is the speculation that ghosts and hauntings are analogous to tape recordings and that mental impressions during emotional or traumatic events can be projected in the form of energy, recorded onto rocks and other items and replayed under certain conditions. The idea draws inspiration and shares similarities with views of 19th century intellectualists and psychic researchers such as Charles Babbage, Eleanor Sidgwick, and Edmund Gurney, Contemporarily, the concept was popularized by a 1972 Christmas ghost story called The Stone Tape, produced by the BBC. Following the play's popularity, the idea and the term stone tape were retrospectively but inaccurately attributed to the British archaeologist turned parapsychologist T.C. Lethbridge, who believed that ghosts were not spirits of the deceased, but were simply non-interactive recordings similar to a movie. That might explain some hauntings as those which show a scene and repeats it over and over and over. But what about hauntings labeled intelligent? Those are the ones where investigators ask questions and seem to get intelligent responses such as knocks, manipulation of items, or even audible or inaudible responses known as EVPs. Do the dead come back to try to commune with their loved ones left behind? Or do we just see historical events replayed over and over again because of a natural ability of emotions to leave impressions on natural items or places? I think it may be both. To end the show, I want to retell a story I've told before. I called it Ghost Horse, and it's a personal story. It happened to me some 40 years ago. I have a short story that took place in 1980 or 1981 in rural central Texas. I lived out in the country and I was a sheriff's dispatcher for the local county sheriff's office and was getting ready to go to work and I just stepped out of the bathtub and was drying off and I heard through the window the sound of a horse clip clopping into our driveway. Well, then it sounded like it pulled up. Now, I heard no whinnies, no snick, no wickers, um, any normal horse sounds except the clip-clopping. But it sounded like it, it rode right up into the driveway and was basically right outside the bathroom window. Well, I looked, and of course I couldn't see anything. It was dark. But I went on ahead and got dressed and, and uh, came out of the bathroom to meet my mother in the living in the dining room and she was heading for the front door and I said where you going she said well I heard something outside I want to see what it was I said well what did you hear and she said I heard a horse so we went to the front door stepped out on the the porch and turned on the driveway light and there was nothing out there now it it wasn't such a light that I could go out and check the the ground we had a gravel sand driveway and it would have shown prints but I waited till the next morning when I got off work and came home and I checked and there were no hoof prints in the sand or or no gravel messed around like it had been you know ridden on by a horse there was no explanation as to what it was but what was weirder about the whole thing was that my mother was in a room at the back of the house well away from the driveway and basically closed up in a room. All the outside doors were closed because it was late at night. Uh, She had the doors to the rest of the house closed and she was watching television and she listened to TV fairly loud back then and she heard this and we never could explain it. We still haven't explained it and this is almost 40 years down the road well that's the show for this week I hope you enjoyed it be with me next week as we come back with another story or another group of stories for Terry's Mysterious Moments I want to remind you that on Mondays Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity the podcast which is listener stories that Aaron tells mostly ghost stories On Tuesdays, we have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show, where he reviews horror movies, different books, uh, things that he's written. Wednesdays, it's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, with me, Terry from Texas, where we cover just about anything you can think of. We also have video productions on the first Friday of the month from the Witching Hour, and from unexplained cases. Also remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have an Apple or an Android, you can go to your app store, look for the RPA app. It's a black square with a blue eye right in the middle of it, you can't miss it. And you can download that app, install it into the device you listen to the programs on, And that way you will not have to go looking for the programs. They'll be right there. Do that. It'll be a lot easier for you to get to the stories. That's about it. I hope everybody has a good week. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.